from Vistio. This is recorded for Quality Assurance. A show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business. Welcome to CXQA Live, where we discuss all the most important elements and strategies to creating successful CX call center operations. We'd like you to know that we are being recorded for Quality Assurance, which of course, by that we mean the Quality Assurance podcast that we make out of our time here every Tuesday at noon Eastern. So uh, this week we have joining us, Joe Rice. Joe, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. We're going to be talking about how to buy CX technology with agents in mind. So as we think about CX, we think about all the moving parts and pieces. We believe that agents are the single most important element in a successful CX strategy and operation. And we believe that agents with the right training, technology, and connection with your business are going to have some very unique characteristics. If those agents are set up correctly in those three ways, they're going to be a revenue growth and protection center for your business or brand. They're going to be the best diagnostic tool that you could possibly have for your business because they're so close to the customer. They're going to be able to make sure that your customers are satisfied and connected with your business. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success of your company. Now, we call this the agent-centric call center philosophy. And the reason that we've kind of organized it into that stream of thought is that these are ideas that are very prevalent in the marketplace. People are talking about them, but it's very rare to see them kind of in one place to discuss, to refine, to try to figure out how to apply them. So we're hoping to do that in our time here every week. We talk about how our goal is for agents to be safe, successful, and satisfied in their work. And specifically, we're talking today about how the technology stack that is put in front of the agent to do their job impacts that ability to be safe, successful, and satisfied in their work, right? So we've talked about a lot of different things. Last week, we talked about trauma. We've talked about the culture of companies. We've talked about training. We talked about technology in general, but today we really want to talk about the technology buying process and how that process and the way that decisions are made during that process impact agents specifically in their ability to be safe, successful, and satisfied in their work. So in the long run, CX organizations are judged on customer outcomes and business outcomes, right? And and one of the things that doesn't happen enough, in my opinion, in CX leadership circles is talking about the connection between customer outcomes and business outcomes and the root causes of those two things. So a couple of questions tend to pop up during a, you know, a pre-buying or buying process. How, how much CX investment is really required to satisfy our customers and their needs? Another one might be, how can we make sure that the CX investments that we are making are actually leading to positive customer outcomes, which of course lead to revenue and profits, the business outcomes that the business should be chasing? These questions are not always the one being asked in a tech buying or tech stack building process. And there are a lot of reasons for that, right? So um, I always like to say, okay, if we're going to build something for a purpose and those business outcomes, growth and revenue and growth and profit are are really at the root of everything a business does or they should be, 
in, in the ultimate sense of why the business exists, why not build it for that purpose? Ask the questions that help us make sure that the purpose actually is accomplished through the process and purchase that is happening. So what happens, what gets in the way is all the different chefs get in the kitchen and they all have their different parts of the discussion. IT has specific concerns. Operations has specific concerns. C-suite and VP have specific concerns. You have training, you have QA, you have marketing and so on and so forth. And so within that, each individual has a unique background, a unique set of experiences. Each individual has a team and specific performance goals and requirements for the for themselves and their team that they're trying to make sure happen. And so things can get very murky very, very quickly. And that's assuming the right questions were, were there to begin with, right? Um, so even if the right questions are there, it's easy for those things to kind of be pushed to the back as all the different agendas, ideas, perspectives, maybe even background experiments and experiences come into play. Enter Joe Rice. So, you know, Joe's the founder of CX Ponit, and they help companies build or reset their tech stacks for their CX orgs. A lot of experience going through these processes. Joe, again, we're super glad to have you along with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I think you set the table nicely on you know, what, why not only the tech ecosystems or the tech stacks that customers build are complex, but also why sometimes getting the right decisions or, or internal alignment is also challenging. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, you've been a part of a lot of complex CX tech stack projects, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you've seen, good, bad, and otherwise, right? So yeah, no um, I just want to kind of throw it out to you after the experiences that you've had in this space with this particular mechanic, right? Um, the complexities of it. What are your guiding principles that you look to, to keep these kinds of processes on track? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it is, I would say that we're uh, our, our company and then, you know, my specific experience over the last 10 years has been in kind of a fortunate uh, position to really get an inside window into how complex organizations and decisions get made. Um, and, you know, in, in most cases, we've been able to, to be there for the implementation and, and kind of hand off to, to an operating model and support, uh, which is a unique, a unique place to be um, because, you know, our, our, at least the majority of our clients, we've got a level of trust where we really are understanding what's happening behind the scenes in terms of like what the real problems decisions, criteria, and ultimately how those things end up stack ranking and, and come out. So uh, it has been um, fortunate being ultimately being cloud focused since the beginning of uh, you know 2014, 2015, since the beginning of Cloud Contact Center and kind of seeing the maturity along the way. Um, and I would say it's actually probably gotten significantly more challenging to figure out what that right tech stack is. Um, so just to take a step, to step back, like the software stack sprawl, um, is an issue, um, and it's a combination of poor decision making and kind of a lifecycle management problem. I mean, lifecycle management isn't a new concept, but kind of the triggers of lifecycle management today are, are different than the way IT used to manage traditional infrastructure. Right? It's cycles of months and changing demands at all times today, and new features and products being rolled out constantly. You know, as opposed to uh, lifecycle management used to be around kind of depreciation or obsolescence of, of old infrastructure. So that is something that we see is often kind of mixed, but we probably won't talk as much about today. Really, when it comes to the decision-making, just to reset the table that you'd mentioned, 
in our taxonomy, at least as we track product kind of categories and types within this customer experience SaaS ecosystem, we've got five categories that make in, in anywhere between 25 and 30 different product types that, that uh, someone can choose to purchase. Meanwhile, you know, all of the vendors in the market are bundling and unbundling these types of products and features to make it even uh, more challenging to do that. So it does make sense that this is a challenging decision to work through. So to answer your question on kind of guiding principles, the three big things are like, be really specific around your desired customer experience. Like, you know, what do you want your customer's journey to be when they start considering kind of the first thought all the way through resolution and support? And, and think about that with like kind of a blank slate if you are going through a, a decent transition because like the capabilities in the market probably will meet what you expect, uh, even with package software without the need for custom development. And so that's one that, you know, like grounding specifically in use cases, workflow, and like what you want that to be is, is really important as opposed to focusing on what features or functions. Like those are important, but yeah, you know, kind of not the anchor often. Uh, the other is embracing constraints. So what variables can we eliminate from the decision and project is really key, right? So things like core app integrations, like we need Salesforce integrations to do X, Y, and Z is a really important one that can help narrow the field and ultimately allow a buyer to spend more time with less vendors. They can map those things out. Other potential constraints are timeline, cost, what, you know, what other systems or tools are under contract and what can or cannot be touched. But outlining those is really important to kind of set the table to set those decisions. And then the last is like, just be intentional about the decisions and trade-offs that are kind of in the path ahead. And I, I think there are often, uh, when clients narrow down the, or buyers narrow down the field, there are often uh, decisions being made or trade-offs being made uh, unintentionally. And so, you know, a few examples of those things just to think about and kind of be introspective on as a buyer, you know, it's like technical debt. Am I looking to eliminate technical debt or am I potentially adding some short-term technical debt because it's a short-term need that, that we need, right? Build versus buy is another one. Do we want to custom develop software or buy package software? That's usually one of the first ones to kind of think through. Um, platform versus point solution, you know, do we want to look and do we have a platform strategy to try to find... Uh, ultimately put the burden of integrations and and uh, maintaining reporting and uh, overall data flow within a specific vendor, or do, or do we want to manage that ourselves? Uh, in-source versus outsource in terms of resources, timeline for ROI, how quickly do we need the benefits relative to the cost? Uh, risk of status quo is another uh, big one um, that I think is worth, worth uh, really thinking through. And then kind of cost reduction versus risk reduction. Is this something that really needs to extract financial advantage and that's like number one priority or are we willing to spend a little more to reduce whatever the you know perceived or, or potential risk is um, and so like I, those are kind of the set of decisions and trade-offs that like being more intentional about um, you know can really help narrow down the field and ultimately make that indecision when vendors or buyers go out into the market and they look at products and they all look great and they demo well and you can't tell totally what the difference is. Those things can help filter out the, the, the playing field. Wow. That was a lot of stuff. I mean, I feel like I just went on a little bit of a um, CX buying masterclass moment there with you. Um, like uh, I'm glad we're recording this for myself. I'll probably go back and glean a lot from what you just shared. But the thing that I'm taking away, again, looking at it from an agent's perspective is that there's a lot of considerations 
that need to come into play long before an agent is actually utilizing the software in training or on the production floor to handle calls that the agent may not really understand, but that ultimately has a lot to do with how the agent will use the software stack. And at the end of the day, you know, keeping some of these trade-offs, the give or take, you know, in mind as a decision maker, you still have to get to that point where the agent has a usable, you know, set of tools. Yeah. Right. So if, if we get all of the other things, right. I was thinking about life cycle management. I mean, there's not an agent in the world that thinks about the life cycle management of their tech stack. They're thinking about my calls that I had today, right? They're thinking about the calls that I'm going to have tomorrow. And yet when life cycle management is done poorly, you're left using tools that should have been moved out of the picture for an extended period of time. I, I spoke recently to an organization that was using an antiquated notes app as though it were a knowledge base and CRM combined, <laughs> right? And yeah. you know, it's locally hosted in that instance, but it was taking them forever to pull up a single note and then do a text search throughout that note in order to find you know, the relevant pieces of information all while there's a customer on the call. Right. And so that would be an example of a tech stack that was long obsolete. That was still, you know, had not been life cycle managed, if you will. I think it just made up a word, (laughs) Um, but, but I think, you know, there's a lot beneath the surface when you're looking at like, like an iceberg, right. You know, you, you see the iceberg on the top of the waves, but there's so much more beneath it and a tech buying process is very similar from any of the perspectives. If you're the IT person, there's a lot that's not in your purview. If you're an ops person, there's a lot that's not in your purview. And then if you put it all together, there are so many variables that need to be considered. Now, I think about bringing us back to the long-term outcomes that a CX organization is really going to be judged on. The performance of the CX organization ultimately is going to rise above those sort of life cycle management issues in the long run when the C-suite are looking at CX performance, right? So did the CX organization provide the customer experience that we designed it to give, you know, and that's everything from the people to the training, to the tech, to like every aspect of the CX organization has to be working in concert with the agent equipped and properly positioned to perform well in order for the long-term business outcomes that the business needs the CX work to have to actually happen. So that relationship between you know the customer outcomes that we want to drive home to the profitability and revenue outcomes is really critical, right? And so I, my, I guess my next question to you is, how can we make sure that our CX investments are leading to those positive customer outcomes, which lead to the business outcomes? right? The yeah. revenue and profits that I discussed without all these other things that are important getting in the way of that laser focus on the actual outcomes that really are going to be the the litmus test for success or failure in the long run. How can we do that? Yeah. You know, I, I think I, this is a really good, a really good question because I would say that, you know, maybe kind of bluntly, we do see a little bit of a gap when we hear as a requirement, we need to fix the agent experience. Like, and between saying that and then making decisions based on that as a fundamental principle, 
it often doesn't shoot to the top of the decision process over financial return, business benefits, and you know operating complexity or simplicity, right? Uh, or reducing operating complexity. And so now part of the reason that, that I think you know to give people kind of a fair you know maybe shot of that gap is that there is alignment. There don't have to be big agent trade-offs when you're investing in contact center as a service for core routing. You know, as an example, like you're going to get a bunch of operational benefits. You're going to have a better digital experience. And the agents are, if depending on where you're starting from, are likely going to get a big leap in agent experience. And I and I think that sometimes the view is like the baseline so bad that whatever we do is going to be good enough in that category. And you know, to some extent, they might be might be right. But I would say on the flip side, or maybe maybe adjacent to that, is that there is awareness and more acceptance now that agent experience is foundational to the customer experience, and it just makes sense, right? It's like Agents' jobs are insanely hard, especially when you're working on a ton of systems. They're kind of pre-filtering for people that already have issues and problems. I mean, this stuff has already been well documented on how difficult that is. And so, yeah. you know, giving them uh, better tools. Like I said, there is there is alignment investing in tech, creating a better customer experience and creating a better agent experience, if, you know, if you think through it and kind of balance those things in the, in the right way. So a couple of the kind of Big buckets that we see as drivers for these decisions, you know, or principles on for clients. If you think of them in the CX bucket, um, it's like clearly defining and outlining what that desired customer experience is, which we kind of talked about. I think defining the points of friction for agents to deliver a great CX, you know, in terms of process, context, like workflow, and what they are looking to do is, is super important. Kind of an honest inspection of operating metrics and how they impact customer experience. This is something we don't, isn't always done either. Um, I think sometimes the operating metrics are what we follow and try to build the purchase around, you know, in an example, like in an org that has first call resolution as a, as a tight metric, I think that's coming out of, out of uh, fashion a little bit when average handle time is high and there's no self-service yet. First call resolution is like a metric that matters. You know, you, you might be asking your, customers to be on the phone for 45 minutes when they could have had it done much in a much simpler way. Right. Um, yeah. In general, external customer experience and demands are increasing and that is impacting drivers like digital self, you know, just digital experience in general, self-service, mobile app development. So you can manage communication through their automation. And then, you know, I think the big thing is kind of this knowledge base and how do we give agents, the tool, both customers and the agents, the tools to go do that. So those are all positive drivers that, that we see that I think are kind of framed around that agent experience where sometimes we talk about this matrix of buyers that have different priorities or rules kind of can compete with these are the drivers for business people are, you know, often timeline conflicting project prioritization. Like do we have the resources and what's most important to the business, which is ultimately usually financial bottom line, uh, whether that's like actual cost reduction or just the chasing, you know, better customer loyalty and retention and uh, or revenue uh, generation, potentially depending on on kind of the the nature of the call center, operating simplicity, the risk perceived risk of change, um, and uh, and also just the risk of status quo, right? Which I think is important as as we mentioned earlier. So like th- those things are kind of tough to wait. For And ultimately, the answer does come down to kind of each organization. The reality is that agents don't make these tech decisions and let that often the director or VP 
are the ones kind of driving these things. And so, you know, I think it's being conscious about the trade-offs as, as we've talked about um, and also realizing like there might not need to be a trade-off to invest in the agent experience and get these benefits. Like they, they can be really well aligned. Uh, but I think as long as it's a principle that people are filtering through and understanding and like being conscious of, which is, you know, the importance of having uh, manager, supervisors, and other people within the operations team to be involved and contributing to kind of really setting what the baseline is, what's broken and what what's desired on the other side, even if they're not in every single meeting. That's really strong. I think that's a unique thing about CX that, you know, coming in didn't make sense to me at first. And that is, you know, you have a number of competing priorities, all of which have to be balanced, right? To achieve the overall organizational success. If you've got an excellent agent experience, but you had to quadruple your IT staff just to maintain the solutions you've put in place and, you know, the maintenance and the reliability of those solutions are an issue. And you've not really solved for the long-term business stability and outcomes that you're looking for, and so there's always the balances there, right? You know, um, even just the way software is sold by by many in the industry is you know somewhat predatory, honestly, towards organizations that yeah. you know really aren't prepared for the amount of support investment they're going to need to make. You know, so the total cost of ownership of a particular software you know might be obscured, and so you you don't even understand what you've signed yourself up for until you know you're six weeks after implementation, and you're going, oh my, this is a little bit different bargain than uh, what we signed up for. So there are a number of pitfalls and variables there. I guess you know thinking about it, you know what do you do when you get to that point, Joe, where you've got multiple buyer decision makers around the table and nobody is having a clear vision for how to assimilate these things within the customer organization. How do you get them over that hump? You know, because it it seems like that's a pretty common environment to find yourself in where, you know, we have some agreement, but we don't have a clear line of these are the priorities. And, but we've got this timeline that's looming and we've got, you know, these hemorrhages we've got to take care of. And, you know, how do you get through that sort of hump over that hump of groupthink? Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a great question, and you know, I think we, maybe I, I can come back for the uh, the next uh, podcast on uh, direct sales being predatory and why direct sales on its own can can be kind of broken. Um, but that's uh, that's a whole topic yeah, for a whole other day, right? It, like, it, it it is right, and and I think like, it, but it is actually part of the core underlying issue, which makes these decisions hard. And so, like you know, kind of in this scenario, we try to encourage our buyers to think about. You know, this is like this is a vendor and partnership choice in most situations, and product is a really big part of it. Uh, it's a critical part of it, but it's not the only part of the decision, right? And so, um, you know, I think, uh, and so ultimately, you know, it's kind of like the vendor intangibles, right? And it's like you the these decisions, especially in the context of a call center, which is real time audio and experience for people. Like this is, these are risky to touch. These are big decisions that frankly, at least in terms of core routing platform should be six to eight year, at least type, type decisions or relationships. And I'm, you know, I think ideally it's, it's more if, if the, the company you're choosing is developing and keeping up with what you need. So um, I think looking at the vendor relationship and kind of what their capabilities are is really important. And so some of those like layers of thinking through 
what else is behind this like sales front that we're seeing, right? The demos, the curation of what my experience is going to be. Is that really going to be that way once we sign? Um, are things like, you know, just understanding what you do want out of a vendor relationship and also what gaps you may have internally and need to be augmented by, by a partner. And so some of that comes down to this physical or philosophical question of what size fish and what size pond do I want to be? Um, you know, and where do I uh, uh, kind of align my perception of risk or value uh, to that? And so that kind of breaks into, I think, the operating model, right? In terms of thinking all the way after you sign and this thing's running well, what type of resource do you have for ongoing support? What are you going to need to build internally? Um, and, you know, kind of asking this question, like as a buyer, like, am I in the business of managing infrastructure configurations or like what type of complexity do I want to make sure stays off my plate and on the vendor side? It's a really critical one. And then the other is implementation expertise, right? As you're going through the purchasing process and you're asking about what it's going to be like, are they bringing the right resources that create clarity for you to, so you can better understand your gaps as a buyer on, on what you're going to need to fulfill your end of the bargain on the implementation? And I think that is, that's a gap that we see pretty consistently. Usually, I think when clients are buying, they get that from one or two vendors. Like the best direct, there are great direct sales reps who help console, you know, create clarity and progress for clients. But when you're out in an evaluation and you see four vendors, some the one who has a great product has a bad sales rep and lacks trust, or the one that's okay, is like is very trustworthy. It just like ultimately it is hard to to kind of filter through, um, you know, and create some clarity for yourself. The other layer is kind of values-based, which, you know, you and I have talked about just in terms of, uh, you know, how we want to want to wake up and spend our time with other people and partners is like the three big buckets that we kind of look at there is uh, trust, which is something I think also should be more, a little more intentional in how we make these decisions mm. as opposed to defaulting to the sales rep who's most trustworthy at the end. You know, that's kind of like the traditional RFP. It's like, oh, let's run an RFP. So we're objective. Everything looks the same. It didn't create any differentiation. And then we just pick the one with the rep we like, which is no bad strategy, but it's not, it could probably be more efficient how we get there. And we, we kind of measure that by words to action ratio. And then is the sales organization really listening and following through and advocating for you to get the rest of their org to rally behind you as a buyer and an implementer, or are they kind of playing uh, a shield uh, in that way? Uh, the second one is partner ecosystems. Like, what is the vendor's approach to, to partners, right? Are they closed off, wanting, thinking they can do it all themselves? And it's just like annoying to bring in a third party because it risks losing a deal or creates more complexity? Or are they really open with how, how to make sure that they're developing, incubating, spending a lot of money to create this better customer experience on their platform? And that's something that's sometimes difficult to see through on the direct sales rep. And then the last one is really kind of the, you know, we talked about support model, but really more about like, what is the relationship engagement model and what do you want? Do you want to be a part of advisory boards? Do you want to contribute to product roadmaps? Do you want to have executive alignment? You know, in some cases, these decisions, like it's pretty important to have that. Sometimes it might not be, but I think those are some of those other things like that you can get a lot of leverage and access and resources and insights as a buyer if you choose to, to spend the time or at least, you know, want to play in those spaces. Again, you know, for the third time, that was a lot there. I mean, I think we've created three new show topics today. This has been my experience so far, by the way, Joe, is, you know, there's so much to talk about here and we really want to honor people's half hour time. You know, people in the East Coast, you know, they're in the middle of lunch and, you know, different people on different schedules, different time zones or different parts of their day. 
But one of the things I want to pull out of what you just said there is ultimately how committed is the vendor to seeing your success? Yeah. Because in businesses and vendors are no different. Businesses develop boundaries to say, we do these things. We don't do these things. Right. And often, you know, the larger the vendor becomes, the more boundaries there are and the more policies. And those are things that, you know, come into play because they've learned hard lessons or they've been taken advantage of, or because they have a very specific direction that they want to go. But sometimes those policies functionally do not make vendors a good partner for the long run because there is a certain dynamic nature to CX just in general, right? I mean, policies change because the economy changes or because customer sentiment changes or because products evolve or because there's learning and improvement in the SOP side of the business where you know the subject matter experts are saying hey we've always done it this way but we've seen that we need to make this change so you know whatever vendors are in place are they minded in their business model to be a long-term partner that's an important question um, and it's and it's one that often isn't asked because if you do the RFP, and you know you've got everybody's pretty close to apples to apples. Let's say you're down to top three, and then you're like, okay, wait, what's the differentiator? Oftentimes, it is something like, okay, which rep do we like the best, or you know, which rep makes us feel a little bit more at ease, or you know, who was better at responding to emails and phone calls and you know requests for time investment, and yeah. you know, ultimately those things can be superficial in a sales process. Ultimately, totally. those things can be not an accurate representation of the long-term partnership mindset of the vendor organization. And so I think that's where, you know, you you really have to dig a little bit deeper. And I think it's on, uh, being a vendor myself, I would say it's on the vendor to express more than just those superficial things to, and then to have, you know, the backup to say, these are the people that we do business with on a regular basis. Please contact them, learn about how we do business from people other than us. And specifically when it comes to how the agent experiences a vendor with four or five degrees of separation, you know, what are the processes that are in place to implement the changes from the agent and, you know, the leadership standpoint on an ongoing basis? These are very important variables. I think it's difficult, you know, when you get into a timeline, you know, multi-party buying decision within an organization to really just keep all that in focus. I mean, it is yeah. really difficult. It's complicated. Well, you know, I do want to honor time. I can think of, like I said, three show topics out of today, Joe. Very thankful for your investment in our audience and uh, just in the time to be able to chat with you about this stuff. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This is this is great. Be happy to come back, uh, you know, as, uh, if, if needed to get dive deeper anywhere. I'm sure we'll be doing it. And I hope everyone has a great Tuesday. Take care. Thank you. To listen to a recording of this and other episodes, visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts. And to join our show live each week, go to vistio.io forward slash CX live.